Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe a speech bubble, splash of color, and plot twist can be important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant it may seem, even if it's hard to follow, and sometimes even because it is. <laughs> I'm Michael, and with me, as usual today, is my good friend and co-host Mandy. And uh, today we're going to be talking about barriers to entry in media. Uh, so, as usual, Mandy, I'd like to let you start things. Well, um, anyone who uh, has followed me for any period of time knows that this is something uh, that is, I guess, not near and dear to my heart. It's not the right word, uh, right phrase, I mean. It's, it's something I've struggled with, I guess, is the right phrase we'd like to go with. I, I've been bared from media. Bard? Bard? Bard. Barred from media <laughs> because of um, barriers to entry. Uh, the two big ones for me personally, of course, are comics and video games. Um, and I've experienced that struggle of tr- trying to to break through the barriers because you want you want to experience this and you can't just just because of the, of the way it's done. Um, so so yeah, this this is something I have. Very strong feelings and uh, opinions about. <laughs> well, yeah, so um, we can we can start today as just by going through various uh, mediums themselves, um, books, movies, comics, video games, and talking about how the way that those types uh, those mediums are inherently presented, or at least are often presented, how they can sometimes prevent people who aren't already acclimated to those mediums um, going in. But uh, the, before we do that, I, I just want to touch on the subject a little bit as a whole and really kind of explain in a bit more detail what how I think of it. And um, to me, I think of it as a bit where uh, stories have their own language to them. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the English language versus Spanish, French, Italian, and so on. It's more... The language of presentation, where different, where we learn without realizing it, we learn the cues that indicate what certain things mean. Um, if you know English fluently, but you're from a different place, a lot of the time you'll still miss something when speaking to someone because you'll miss visual cues about how someone's communicating with you. And mediums for for stories are much the same way, where you might be able to follow the language being used, like the, the real spoken or written language being used, but there are all kinds of other things dropped into that medium that you just that you're missing and that leave you at a loss for what is actually going on. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we're talking about, things that uh, where in a book you might not or in a book or in a genre of books, you might not pick up on certain tropes that because so many people who are into that genre, uh, are so familiar with the way a certain thing is delivered, they might be able to give you a lot less information than than if this was a brand new breakthrough medium or genre in order to tell you something. They might be able to drop just a brief hint, like a sentence or a couple of words to tell you something that you extrapolate out more detail from. And uh, And that's true in all the different mediums and genres. And those are the kinds of things that we miss on when we're new to to one of these things and we pick up on afterwards. And they're things that sometimes people actually deliberately go out of their way to avoid using in order to try and bring in new people. Uh, so 
with that, we, I guess we can start off on, uh, well, Mandy, I'll let you choose. What, uh, <laughs> what medium do you want to start with? Um, I don't know. Why don't we start with comics? <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Uh, I've, you have, not too long ago, shortly after you joined Twitter, uh, you, the way I put it, you won Twitter for the day by, uh, <laughs> by posting up a, a really well-done blog post. And you and I had discussed this topic before, but this was specifically sort of your adventure in learning to read comics. And, um... Without spoiling it, I, I guess I would just la- like to have you tell your own story. <laughs> yes. So um, I saw the Avengers, and uh, it changed my life. Um, <laughs> Let's, uh, so uh, we are nothing back- if not dramatic about yes. stories. <laughs> dramatic. Overly dramatic at times. But um, when I went to see the Avengers, at that point... Um, I had seen Iron Man. Uh, I had seen the the 2003 Hulk, but but not the you know the one that was actually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not the one that was better. <laughs> better is a uh, a stretch of. Uh... <laughs> All right, continue. <laughs> uh, that's off topic. Um, <laughs> so I went to uh, a marathon actually of all the Marvel movies. Um, so our theater was for 20 bucks. You got to see, um, you know, Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers. Oh, I had seen Captain America at that point, and I loved it. Uh, so I went, saw all of those movies in one day. Uh, it was a very long day. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my mind, I, I don't know if I can, I can't say my mind was blown because uh there was nothing mind blowing about it, but I was basically exposed to this whole world, right? And I was like, "This is amazing! I know there is more out there uh, that is similar to this, called comic books. Um, let me go try to find out more." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did and, that go as uh, well as you so, had hoped at first? No, it didn't. Um, so, so Michael had told me about Comixology. So I got that, and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a comic. <laughs> and for, for reference, just in case we haven't mentioned it on the regular podcast before, Comixology is a, an online store and corresponding apps on iOS, like you know, Apple products and Android products, and on Windows computers and so on, where... You can buy comics digitally, have them in your digital library, and read them anywhere. Yes. So that was very appealing to me because the idea of going to a comic book store was terrifying. Um, <laughs> n- not, not because I, I'm terrified of uh, geeks or geeky things, but because I'm terrified of new situations in general. And the idea of going to a new place where there'd be expected... People expect you to know what you're doing in a comic book store. Yes, they do. Um, and and I would have had no idea what I was doing, and I had no one who no one I knew in Albuquerque, where where I live, was a comic reader. So I would have had to have gone by myself, and I would have been that noob fumbling around the comic book store. So uh, instead, I was like, okay, Comicsology, I can do this. I I can buy things on my shiny iPad. Um, <laughs> so. I was like, 
uh, I'm going to start with something I'm familiar with uh, so I can get used to the medium because I know mediums are different. Uh, so I actually bought an angel uh, <laughs> from the Buffyverse comic. And I couldn't, I couldn't read it. I, it was one of the hardest things I tried to do. Um, I just remember looking at the pic. I would read what people said, and then I'd look at the pictures, and then I'd read what they said again, and then I'd look at the picture, and then I'd move on to the next frame, and there was no connection here. Like, it was not forming a story in my brain. It was... It's weird to describe, but basically, I could not read it. <laughs> I would forget what happened frame from frame. I, I had a hard time telling who was saying what. I had a hard time saying who was saying what in what order. Um, I didn't know what all the, spec- the special fonts and uh, different ways to emphasize things meant. Um, it, it was all very confusing. Because up to this point, the only comics I had read had been Sunday comic strips, which are very linear. I mean, I want to add that uh, – so this is something that – Mandy, like, you know, if you said that to some, to a lot of comic book readers, and this is true in other mediums, and we'll get to that later, they would almost, they would, a lot of them would express comments almost as if it's your own fault. But as someone who has no problem and has not had a problem following comics for a long time, I can remember when I learned how to do that. Like, you know, I was maybe 11, 12 years old when I had to actually when I could not follow the proper sequence. And sometimes I had to reread the page two or three times in order to make sure I actually read it in the right order. And it's something that a lot of people who have acclimated to a given medium, they're completely oblivious to the fact that it's not an inherently natural thing. And they didn't always know how to do it. They think they did, but they didn't. And and that's something, uh, you know, I'm, when you said I, I won Twitter with this blog post, it, it was picked up by um, bleedingcool.com and, and they posted it. And that, that is a comic site, or at least half of the site is devoted to comics. And a lot of the comments I got on that site yeah. were uh, basically, I fear for the future of America because people can't read comics. Right. And, then, and you know, fair, how stupid do you have to be people- to not read? Uh, to be fair, right. there were definitely, there were definitely people, in people in defense. Right, it, it was an even, it was an even fifty-fifty, I think, on uh, people on both sides. And you know, it, it's hard for me to admit that I struggled with it so much because you know I pride myself in my intelligence. I mean, I'm a freaking rocket scientist. <laughs> uh, you know, I work on satellites that go to space, and you know, I have a master's degree in engineering, and I can't read comic books, or I couldn't. And that's, um, a, and that's the the big thing is actually it's sad to me that it is a fifty fifty split, but but not it's not surprising because that's how that's just how geeks and nerds get and the people get about things that they've been doing for such a long time they kind of take it for granted and they almost feel um, feel the need to uh, of course you know now the English language is failing me um, or rather my knowledge of it is. Uh, uh, to disparage, that's the word I was looking for. There, th- People feel the need to disparage those who can't do something as well as they can, and it really does, doesn't make sense to me because it's all learned behavior. Um, right. So anyways. And, yeah. yeah, so continuing with Mandy's adventure into comics. Uh, so basically, I 
I didn't read comics uh, probably for months after that. So I saw Avengers in May. Uh, you know, and this is last year. We're not talking like <laughs> ages ago. Um, and then in, um, it was probably September, uh, I, I started reading three comics almost simultaneously. Like, I, I can't remember which I picked up first. Um, one was uh, Scott Pilgrim because I love that movie. <laughs> uh, and the so the appeal was one I love the movie two uh, it's very simplistic drawing so I wasn't being overloaded by the images um, it I could I could piece together what was happening uh, so so yeah so there was that comic the other was the unwritten uh, which is a Vertigo comic which Michael told me I had to read and the more he described it to me the more I was like yes. <laughs> I have to read this. Uh, and the third was The Young Avengers. Um, also, I, you know, I, I read these all in Comixology. Uh, Com- Comixology also has this uh, basically frame-by-frame uh, syst- guided view is what they call it. Yeah, it's a uh, um, patent-pending thing that they've got for it. So. Right. So instead of seeing a whole page at a time, which was very overwhelming for me, uh, it would take you in to just that frame and on the bigger frames like the whole page uh you know the whole page uh layouts it would guide you through like basically which sections you're supposed to read first now it's hit or miss sometimes it's not always right but it was still helpful to just read one section at a time and then when on the big pages so it take you through one section of the big page at a time and then it would show you the whole page so then you read each section individually and now you could put it all together and and you can Um, even um you have the option to actually have it do that beforehand too so that you mm-hmm. see the whole page, if you want to, you can see the whole page and then start going through panel by panel and then see the whole page again, which, um, when I've tried it, I like it, but I'm so used to reading whole page that that's all I do. Uh, but yeah. Right. So I, I mean, I, I just pushed through and it was a lot, there was a lot of trial and error of reading the same pain over and over and over again, uh, you know, being like, okay, clearly the way I read it originally was not how it's intended to be read because that made no logical sense, you know? So then it's like, okay, what if I put the bubbles in this order? Or what if I put them in this order? Or be like, okay, so what does that font mean? I don't know. What do I know about this character? Like, you you know, it was piecing together the different... expect the, the different things that comic book readers take for granted. I was piecing it together by reading these three different comics that are using the same medium, you know, using the same uh, system... And through the three of them, I was able to use context clues to figure out what everything meant. Um, and now I am the avid comic book reader uh, you see today, or here, here today. But it, w- it was not an easy process, and uh, it took a lot of patience. And sometimes I didn't have that patience. And sometimes I was like, that's it, I'm done. And I, it, you know, I'd put down a comic book for a week, two weeks, and not pick it up again. Uh, well, my iPad, not, not an actual physical book. Uh, <laughs> and, but then, you know, when I broke through, it was amazing. That's all I got. You could say something. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is so as someone who likes playing video games a lot and Mandy, you have difficulty with it, uh, with video yes. games as a genre. Um, I end up coming on, you know, those people on, uh, the, um, was it Bleeding Cool? Was that the site? Yes. Uh, the people who were kind of coming to your defense, like, I'm the equivalent of that in the video game world, because a lot of time, you know, we have the so-called 
hardcore, in quotes, games, and then the so-called casual games. And a lot of the time, a developer will want to make, and this is a word that they'll use all the time, they're trying to make their game more accessible. And people who have been playing games for a long time will bemoan the efforts to do that because they feel like it's going to diminish the game for them. And, you know, why do you have to do that? And you're just going to make it worse for gamers and so on. And I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is for video games as a medium and how big video games are as a medium. Um, Like, we can totally afford for a lot of games to be made more and more accessible so that more and more people can learn to learn the skills that they need and learn how to pick up on certain cues in order to be able to play all the other games that we like. Um, We don't need every game to cater to us, and we don't need every game in the genres that we like to cater to us. Like, just because a particular genre or type of, or style of video game reaches, you know, is something that normally is for people who only play games a lot, doesn't mean that it's a bad thing for a developer to try and buck the trend. And sure, sometimes they fail to, sometimes it diminish, does end up diminishing the quality, but it's not an inherent thing that it has to. In order to try and be able to get people on board who find the stuff interesting, but just can't penetrate the... Uh, can't penetrate the game and and that makes it so that you know traditionally um rpgs role-playing games before um as well as like platformers and other such types of games there's lots of different styles of games that they tended to be more accessible and then but there are there are harder ones uh with rpgs you can have you can have action rpgs which end up requiring certain abilities that people who don't play games a lot just can't wrap their heads around. They they can't wrap their heads around the... It, it, or not, It's not necessarily just wrap their heads around, but be able to do it fluently enough, where if the language is, you know, moving your, your thumb on a control stick in a certain way makes your character do a certain thing, and hitting this other button in conjunction with it do, takes an action, being able to understand that is one thing. Being able to do it fluently enough where you can navigate levels of games without having to think about it is a whole different thing and that's something that people need to be able to learn and if you if you only give people games where they would already have to be essentially fluent in that language um to continue that metaphor then they will just drop it and go home and not not try it because so you need to have the you need to have games um that that can that don't push really hard on those areas, but have all the other things that we like about those games, the narrative and so on and so forth. And to feel like it's diminishing one of the games that you would like otherwise, just because it's easier is kind of ridiculous. Um, so, uh, so yes, you know, I, I'm not a gamer. Uh, so, so, so to go with a, a medium I, I am familiar with, but to continue the same train of thought, or I guess this is more of a genre, but it's, it's, okay. it's a medium. Uh, <laughs> epic fantasy. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think everything needs to be accessible to everyone. Right. Uh, I, I definitely think there are a need for games, books, uh, comics that push the genre, push the medium, and only someone who is fluent in the language could read or watch or experience that and understand. I mean, I want to chime Uh, in that I am completely in agreement. There are absolutely, and we'll touch upon this more, there are absolutely stories and 
uh, and just types of media, which they use the fact that they can be opaque about getting into into them to their advantage. And you can stretch the boundaries of a store of of a genre or a medium more by making those assumptions and knowing that people will keep up. Um, but right. I, my, my issue is more of a, is just that people shouldn't disparage the ones that are accessible because they can do interesting things too. And it enables more people to come in. So, right, right. I, I, I agree. And now my brain wants to go two different directions. That... Uh, pick one and we'll pick up the other later. <laughs> okay. So let, let's stick with accessibility for now. Uh, and, and new people coming in. Um, so, Yes, people, I, I, I don't play video games, but I, I do stay pretty on top of uh, geek culture in general, even when that touches on video games. Uh, so I, I've definitely seen a lot of backlash, you know, from gamers for, for, uh, about accessibility. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I suck at video games is because I missed the window of opportunity in life when it was socially acceptable to suck at video games. Um, which is essentially elementary and middle school. Yeah. Um, and if you miss that, you're hosed. Because uh, there were many times in college where my friends would get a new video game and they would be nice and be like, well, Mandy, don't you want to play it? Because uh, I would just be sitting there watching them play, which is pretty much what I wanted to do because I enjoy watching people play video games. But I was like, sure, you know, why don't I give it a shot? And generally that lasted about five minutes before they took the controller back from me because their level of being able to tolerate my inability to follow a monkey through fog uh, was low. Um. (laughs) So, and I'll be honest, like as someone who is fluent in that language, and and this is true in spoken languages too, which is why I continue using the metaphors. I keep finding ways that it works. It can get frustrating. Like when I'm watching someone who doesn't play, trying to do it and I could just kind of kind of want to grab the controller from them and do it myself but that's a bad impulse and I've learned to fight it and not let it bother me so much and so I I can't I'm not inherently like criticizing everyone who has that impulse and gets frustrated by it for feeling frustrated it's more the acting on it and not realizing that it's bad that is the issue Right. Um, and, you know, I totally get the impulse because I feel the impulse myself. Like, uh, I think I have three different video games right now that are stuck in a certain place. And uh, I'm looking forward to either Dragon Con or the next time I see my sister because I might have to have Michael or my little sister get me past those levels. <laughs> uh, they're all my DS. Of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'm stuck in Chrono Trigger and have been for months. And I have no freaking clue what to do. No okay. idea. Like, just just sitting there. I'm stuck in uh, Zelda, uh, the train one. Spirit Tracks, I'm stuck in that game. I have no idea what to do. Um, Which is like the only one I haven't played. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, my little sister could probably figure it out in five minutes. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, so it's frustrating to me um, as a player because I... I well, as someone who sucks at playing, um, it makes me frustrated. It makes me... Especially for me, coming at it as someone who literally just cares about the story. Like, frankly, I don't care about the game mechanics, <laughs> you know? Like, I just want to know what's going to happen next. And I like being able to interact in the story. That's cool. I like that my actions can have different outcomes. That's, that's, that's all cool. Uh, but I can't do them, and I don't have the patience to invest the time to learn how to do it. You care uh, about part the, of that's You care about the gameplay in as much as they in, it informs the story, not really in and of itself. 
Right. Right. And, and, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that that mainly have to do with the fact that growing up, I watched my brother play video games. Um, And and that's how I consumed video games. And he was pretty, he was good at the mechanics and I was good at figuring out the story and what we were supposed to do next. And and that's how we played together. He was the, I was the brain and he was the brawn. (laughs) And we made it through any game that way. Um, You know, and if it was a two player game where I could follow behind him, well, Let's be honest. If it was a two-player game, he let my little sister play, not me. Uh, so that's why she's good at video games and I'm not. Uh, there are a lot of sibling dynamics that go into the, why this is true. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's frustrating for me. And even something as simple as Journey, which, you know, Michael, you were like, you can't lose at this game. Um, which is true. I reached, uh, it's true, but I reached a point in the game where I was essentially done. I was where like, it, that's it. It got frustrating I don't know enough that it still lost you. <laughs> yes, yes, because I I had no idea what to do. Um, I was lost, and uh, I was being misled by another player, and uh, which I didn't know, which I thought was a non. Uh, I thought it was a compu- the computer uh, telling me to do something, and I couldn't do it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's it is frustrating to to you know want to get into a medium and not know how. So there's definitely a need for those accessible games that someone as you know stupid when it comes to video games as me can can play but then there also need to be the games that someone like you could play and uh it be a challenge uh on every level and I, i think the big thing for me and this is true and we'll tie this to other mediums is it it's you need to have things that are accessible by everyone because otherwise you you know you your john or your medium becomes an island of sorts and is just going to atrophy over time right. um which is really weird set of mixed metaphors there but um, <laughs> uh but but you also do you know you need to feed the people who really really enjoy the medium from time to time um one of uh, there are lots of video games, and of course, n- right now, none of them are coming to mind. I'm just kind of racking my brain for them. But there are lots of video games that have come out in recent years which are actually totally accessible by people and have gotten critical acclaim. And, and it's a pretty small contingent who's criticized them for being easily accessible because they... And I can say that there, there are certain approaches that are optimal to take for making something that's accessible. If you try and highlight certain things that are new and different you can go a long way towards um, making people not mind that the media, that the the mechanics themselves are really easy or that the visual language is, if you make it completely different, then the visual language can be something that is doesn't take a lot of pre-existing cues. Um, I, one thing that a lot of people, you know, people will disparage uh, people for other gamers for turning down difficulties. And I mean, I kind of like the fact that the idea of having easy difficulty in any sort of adventure game, just to let some people breeze through. <laughs> now that said, there are, that's what I need. There that's are what some I need, games. <laughs> there are definitely some games where I feel like it actually may hurt the story to do that because the struggle is such an, the way that the game is designed. It's such an inherent part of it. It's where the, the medium and the, narrative are sort of intricately woven where you can't really separate how difficult it is to, you know, sometimes you need 
in some games, you need areas where you die like a hundred times, and to make those easier, it's either not mechanically plausible or it would just kind of disrupt the actual impact of the story itself. But in those cases, it's okay to have... Those are the kinds of games where it's okay to have one or two that just aren't penetrable by the general populace. Um, But I think that a lot fewer games are like that than people who like games think are like that. Um, Oh, I agree. And that's, again, similar comics are a lot like that. There are comics that are wildly difficult to follow, um, like to the point where people who've been reading comics for a long time have to kind of reprocess how the panels move. Um, And I think those are really cool, and they do really neat things. But And it's okay to be like, okay, first you need to read these ten other comics, and then if you're comfortable doing that, then try this one. And that's okay. Um, Right. And and going to, you know, epic fantasy, which is my, uh, for me, that's about it's, as it's your deep as I am in, we... in anything. Yes. Uh, Brandon Sanderson's The Way of the Kings is probably one of the least accessible books I have ever read in epic fantasy. Um, and, and that's saying something. <laughs> epic fantasy is not known for being highly accessible. Um, but that lack of accessibility makes it, it it's not that it's not accessible is what makes it exciting uh i didn't you know it's it's that it made me think uh you know i'm struggling when when you first start the way of the kings and you read that first 50 pages you're just like i have no idea what's happening you know it's 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 very and that's me coming from someone who knows every trope of epic fantasy there is i you know there's very little in epic fantasy i haven't read um you know except like the latest george r r martin book but i have read george r r martin <laughs> just not all of it um, I, I do want to just real quick um so i want to chime in cuz we've talked about comics and video games and we talked about both the mechanics and the content and and this whole barriers to entry thing applies to both content itself and the mechanics and so books have well fewer mechanics involved to get in your way but you can still totally do the same thing with content which is what you're talking about right now right but but they they do have mechanics too right Uh, so that's the thing about the way of the kings is it throws every mechanic there is at you essentially (laughs) you know you start out with a prelude and then you go into a prologue and and you know and then it's like it, it takes a while to get to your actual main character, um, which is which is probably about as mechanical as a you know as a book can get. But it, but it's true in general. Um, books as a medium uh, are probably the most accessible. Maybe movies are the most accessible, but it's just because we are trained from a very young age to read. Um, Right. And there, there is a lot out there for a lot of different reading levels. Books are made to ease you in. Uh, you know, you can start with your boxcar children. And uh, <laughs> you know, I will be—I'll be really, really honest, actually, because we we're talking about the epic fantasy, and um, and while it's not epic fantasy, it is fantasy, and was incredibly accessible. I was always surprised by how relatively little Harry Potter got disparaged by people. Yes. Um, because I'm pleasantly surprised because that is incredibly, you know, incredibly accessible and bring brought a whole lot of people into the genre. I mean, I did not like fantasy as a genre across the board until I read Harry Potter. 
And I mean, it's the same is true with me. I, I didn't. I read only science fiction yeah. until I read Harry. Potter. It was all science fiction for me. Um, movies too. I just avoided. I wasn't interested in the whole magic thing until I read Harry Potter. And it's certainly like it's low level. You know, it's really accessible. It's really easy for people to get into, and that's marvelous for the genre. And I'm. I was always just in hindsight. I mean, I was like the only person I knew who was who was kind of hard on it, and that was only because everybody was reading it, and I was used to nobody reading. So. <laughs> Yeah, and then I read it. I, I was think, like, oh, okay, this is pretty good. I, I think there's less of a stigma with books on making accessible things. I mean, we write fiction for people learning to read. We That's write true. fiction for middle schoolers. We write fiction for high schoolers, and then there's the adult stuff. But even in the adult spectrum, um, there are people who know, can't read ex- as well, and people who can read as well. Right. And- yeah, you know the the X Wing books, which which I'm rereading right now, are written on an eighth grade reading level. Um, and those are adult books. Um, and you know, it's like, the, they're still good books and you, you have the full spectrum. If they're, whereas with something like, uh, going back to comics, there, there's not really a, uh, there, there are kid comics and then there are adult comics and the kid comics are, tend to be very, uh, it's like going from boxcar children to adult books, you know, with right. no Harry Potter in between. Now, that said, if you're looking for kid comics, and I've heard marvelous like, things about ah. old Disney ones. Like the old, ah. uh, like Mickey Mouse and um, comics are supposed to be fantastic kids ones. Um, I remember reading them when I was younger, but I don't really remember anything beyond liking them, possibly just because they were Mickey Mouse. Um, right. So that was an aside. But and, yes, k- keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think with video games, I agree that most video games are more accessible than gamers think. Um, like, you know, I agree. Most RPGs, I mean, ev- pretty much everything like Nintendo makes is made to be accessible. Well, so <laughs> Nintendo, it, Nintendo is actually something that I wanted to touch on as almost a separate section in, in this episode. Cause that is what Nintendo does is they don't make right. kitty games. They make family games, which are for people who like, Yes, they try and make it appeal to people who've been playing a long time, and a lot of them do have sort of things where you can get really, really good. But sure, there's sort of a a cap to how demanding they get, because they're trying to make them so there are both adults and children who don't play anything else who can still get into them with a little bit of extra effort. And um, that, and that's something that, you know, people disparage them as making kids games, but they don't. They make everyone games, which are... right. Which are really, you know, I completely understand. I mean, I play my Xbox 360 and my PS3 plenty. Like, I play lots of the so-called hardcore games, and I play lots of games that Nintendo would never in a million years make. But there's still a lot to be said for being able to just jump into something without having to think about the uh, about the basics and then see the little ways that they're using it and see the way they're hand-holding other people. Nintendo is actually right. also, there's a prime example of how you can do it really badly. Um, uh, the, the most recent Zelda game, and I love the Zelda series, but um, Skyward Sword on the Wii, they overdid Don't spoil the, the end for me. Oh, I'm not. I, I haven't. They, uh, they overdid the accessibility of the mechanics to the point where I think it actually stops even helping the people who, 
who don't know the mechanics. Like I'm, I'm absolutely have no criticism whatsoever for the first several times somebody comes upon something, reminding them of what such and such thing does, what button they need to press, stuff like that. I don't mind being reminded of things I could have intuited without being told the first time. But they do this thing where any time, like every session that you play, they will tell you the same thing the first time you happen upon it. And this is a game that's supposed to be like, you know, tens and tens of hours long. Like we're talking 40, 50 hours by the end of it. You can have dozens of sessions through it. I don't need to be reminded every single time I pick up a little collectible item that it's a little that it's a collectible item and I can use it to build things and whatnot. Like, you know, if it happens every session for the first five hours that you play the game, or the first five sessions that you play the game, that's one thing. And then you just have a little animation. And this is part of accessibility in different mediums, is giving people visual cues or story cues of what's going on. So if I collect a little piece of, uh, I think they call it an amber relic in the game, and it's you'll pick tons and tons of these things up over the course of the game. If I pick one up and the first time and it pops up and it's like, hey, you picked up an amber relic. You can use it for this and you can get to it from this screen on your pause menu and then shows you that screen. And so you unpause and continue. That's great. But for it to happen over and over and over again, all it does is start to disrupt the game for everyone, including the people who are new to it, who you've already taught that mechanic. Um, Later on, you should, and, and this is an issue that, is valid from people who are comfortable with genres is, you know, you should really polish that up a bit. After the fifth time, it should just show you a little animation, show it pop up above your head, then make it like animate to the bottom corner where you see a little counter go up or something. Cause by then people know, Oh, I just go to the pause menu. Um, so and- to, uh, <laughs> slightly counter your, uh, skyward sword problem, uh, that issue that you have has actually been very useful to me and my sister when it comes to Skyward Sword because my little sister is not allowed to play Zelda games unless I'm there. Right. Uh, because I can't play <laughs> video games. And so I want, I want to know what happens in Skyward Sword. Um, so every time we play Skyward Sword, it's almost been a year apart. Uh, and we, we try our hardest to be like, every time we're like, we're going to beat it this time. But there are only so many all-nighters we can pull right? Um, <laughs> playing well, video games. And, and that's the thing is, I, I definitely had thought about that because you had told me how far apart you get to it. And my issue is not that you should definitely still get a reminder for those kinds of things. Because even if you've been playing a lot, a visual cue that happens while you're playing and doesn't disrupt things is great. Which is why I mentioned having an animation to indicate what's going on, because it'll give you that reminder that you need, versus staying right. as if you've never seen it before, which actually, like, it literally stops the game while you're playing to do it. And oh, that's, that's I mean, and I, and I, yeah, and I, and I do agree with that. I mean, that's a, you know, one of the things about Zelda in general is, like, I almost don't want to open a treasure chest <laughs> every time I get to one because it's going to be like, what, what does that sound? Da-na-na-na-na-na. You know, and you're going to hold it up over your head. Or whatever, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what sound I mean. Yes. And it's like, you got a red ruby. This is worth whatever. 50? I think a red ruby is worth 50. Or right. it's 20. I don't remember. Uh, whatever rupees. And it's like, yes, I know that. My counter just went up. Like Exactly. I, and that's the kind of thing where if they did it better it would just be you open the chest a little red one comes up above your head and in the bottom corner they can have your total count and plus 50 above it 
and not disrupt what you're doing, right? And so that's the idea of, like, sometimes you can go a bit overboard with making things accessible. I totally am sympathetic with what Nintendo's trying to do there. They're trying to make sure not to lose anybody by not giving them enough information. But you can give people the same information without breaking up the experience to the point where, like, I stopped playing Skyward Sword because of how often it stopped while I was playing it. Like, I would just get tired of it every couple of hours and stop playing. And I intend to eventually go back and play it, and it'll be less annoying when I haven't played it in six months. But <laughs> but yeah. it's the kind of thing where they, in trying to overdo making something accessible, you can actually be detrimental to the experience as a whole for essentially everyone, much more so for the people who are used to the to the you know, who would be so-called experts or advanced players. But that experience, even for beginners, would still be better if you didn't pause it every single time or the vast majority of times. Um, and it, it's the thing where a lot of the time, the things that gamers or, you know, complain about or expert comic people do, or even people who like books a lot, some of the valid criticisms that they have about things being overdone when they're expected Sometimes it actually carries on to things where would even they would even be better for people who aren't familiar if you toned it down just a little bit. Um, right. So, so I, I didn't. I think one thing is because we were coming in a bit strong on overly be, like being extremely defensive of being accessible, and it can be done poorly. And I think that that was an example of it. And Nintendo does that from time to time. In general, I think they're. Their goal is great, and in general, I think they do a really good job of making things reachable by everyone. Um, but this was an instance where I think they went a bit too far. Um, uh, right. But yeah, so we, we were we keep uh, jumping off of the high fantasy and books thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if we interrupted your train of thought on that, we could continue it. Well, so high fantasy, um, I. So I always kn have known that you need to ease people in who aren't used to reading science fiction or people who aren't used to reading speculative fiction, you need to ease them into it. Um, or people who aren't used to watch, like accepting speculative fiction, whether movie, book, comic, or video game, you have to, you have to ease them into it because not everyone can stretch their suspension of disbelief that far. So there's like an easement of stretching suspension of disbelief that I think has to happen with a lot of people. Um, but I never realized that other than that, the stretching of disbelief and, you know, your ability to read that high fantasy had a, uh, a bar, you know, like an accessibility bar um, until I recommended Elantris to one of my friends and uh, I was like in my mind I was like this is the perfect uh, high fantasy intro book because it's only one book and <laughs> it is legitimately high fantasy um, so it's like you know to me I, it was just testing the waters to see if this person liked the genre not that there was any accessibility issue because I was like this person can read um, this person likes movies with magic uh, so of course they're going to like epic fantasy, you know, like in my mind, I was like, duh, you know, this isn't going to be a problem. So my friend read it and, uh, and, and she enjoyed it. But the thing, the comments she had when she came back to me were just things that I was like, huh, I guess that is a 
quirk of epic fantasy that I, that I never considered. For example, she, uh, she when she was halfway through the book, she was like, Mandy, you didn't tell me this book had three different uh, – she, she didn't use this word, but I'm going to use it – points of view characters. Um, I was like, what, what do you mean? Uh, she was like, I, I don't think I've ever read a book with that many point of view characters. And when I thought about it, if she had only read um, con- contemporary fiction, uh, yeah. you, you know, books that take place now, or if she, even if she'd only ever read, you know, classic fiction, like in like in high school, uh, those are all essentially single, maybe double point of view books, and that's that's it. And there might be an occasional third point of view that. You know, you know, like Voldemort in Harry Potter, which I don't really call that a third point of view, but there is the occasional one-off chapter that is from Voldemort's perspective, you know? And uh, I, I had never considered that keeping track of three different characters who all have their own completely different stories going on that don't coincide until the climax, which is very standard in epic fantasy, mind you. Uh, I had never considered that that would be a problem for people that they would not be able to keep track of these essentially three different novels going on at the same time. Uh, and I was like, wow, I guess I'm just so used to it that I never considered that this would be an accessibility issue. Yeah. Uh, which is why now um, I tend to recommend to first timers more the name of the wind. Uh, which is, in and of itself is kind of interesting because it bucks the, uh, a lot of it uses all the stuff that is native to the genre so it uses the native language of it but then at the same time kind of does different things with it um it's a bit yes unexpected. but i think you can still enjoy the name of the wind even coming at it from a because the name of the wind hits every trope in epic fantasy it and it does it on purpose um but I think it's still enjoyable without knowing that. Sure, Whereas sure. I think something like Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series is you would enjoy it less without knowing how mind-blowing it is. Well, because the first time you read it, you wouldn't think it was. Well, so this is an interesting thing, actually. The, an, another issue with barriers to entry, where sometimes barrier to entry isn't so much a barrier to being able to enjoy a story, but it's an inability to pick up on things that people more familiar with the genre will pick up on, but it's like a, almost a higher level of appreciation of something. Um, and so that's the thing, like, I feel like the name of the wind, if you're really familiar with the genre, you get a little bit more out of it because you're sitting there processing. Well, that was an interesting way of using that exact trope that I've seen a billion times. Like it was different, but it was the same thing. And then just seeing how he pieces together how uh, Patrick Rothfuss pieces together the same exact pieces that everybody else uses, but puts them together differently is well, really fun in and of itself, because as we, you and I have talked about, it's essentially a story about telling stories and it's really right. neat to see and, and, the way he does that to kind of twist around the way that stories are normally told with all the same pieces. Um, and, and the irony here is, is that, uh, <laughs> If I recommend the name of the wind to a person who is not familiar with epic fantasy, they're going to get the high level story. In my opinion, Michael, you are the type of reader that you're getting the second level story. Yeah. Whereas I've got the third level story. Um, because most epic fantasy, well, not most epic fantasy, 
Patrick Rothfuss writes The Name of the Wind, expecting the epic fantasy readers who have devoted their lives to things like Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time to come at it with the same fine-tooth comb that we go through everything. And uh, it's deep, <laughs> you know, like the, the things we will comb out of it. And uh, I know you're not that kind of epic fantasy reader, whereas because I am. Because I just so, haven't read that so much it, epic fantasy. Well, you haven't read that much, and I'm not sure the you know level that which you actually care. Uh. Well, I, I guess that's the thing is with anything that I've read much of, I tend to do that. But I, I really like I just don't have as as it is. I don't have the epic ling- the epic fantasy vocabulary. I can pick up on things that I know are tropes, um, but I don't have a pool of epic fantasy books in my head to be like, oh, okay, that's what he's, he's alluding to this from that other thing over there. And so on and so forth. Like for me, it's more of a, okay, I see what he's doing here. So, so it's not even that it's, uh, when it comes to epic fantasy, it's (sighs) epic fantasy is this weird little world where we, the hardcore readers expect everything the author says to mean something. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't just mean like mean something to progress that little bit of story, but like oh, it's gonna it's gonna be important some way down the line. He wouldn't have said X and, if it's not really important some other time. Not not even necessarily that, because um, we don't expect all loose ends to be tied up in the end. Um, but we expect everything to just we we expect almost that the world is real. And that everything is a glimpse into that world. And so there's a lot of extrapolation and debates and, oh my gosh, you should see the threads <laughs> online about these, like, uh, these epic fantasy books. It's, my, it's mind-boggling. I, I mean, when I read epic fantasy threads, they make me feel like a bad reader. They make me feel like my reading comprehension is, like, nil. There's a reader deeper than me even here. <laughs> oh, I don't know. So I, I, think I'm, I, I think I'm probably at the entry level of that third level because there's a lot of that stuff that I'm getting at and I just only have a couple of other friends who've read the book to talk to about it and I've got so many other things distracting me at the same time but I'm, I mean right. there are definitely things I'm like okay wait a minute this is definitely going to tie back to here and he hasn't really alluded to it yet but that's the only way for this to piece together and this is one of those elements that's going to have to piece together there's this other stuff that we might not get an explanation of but this is going to and then you start to find down the things and then you kind of reopen your book and you find the little details here and there and you're like, wait a minute, he said this one line over here that could change this entirely. Um, so I, I do do a little bit of that, um, much less with the name of the wind than I do with other things because it is in a genre. I, I'm not as, I'm not as familiar. Um, but I mean, that, that's the way I piece together stories with various comic books that I read and, um, and a lot more video game things. Like I'll end up having the conversations with people on those and just go all crazy into them. But it's a part of it is just a matter of what community you also communicate with and you observe. Um, right. Because, Definitely. because a lot of the time reading like one thing from someone in that community will all, it will just start a whole nother train of thought for you. That'll occupy you for a while. And I don't yes. read anybody in the high fantasy community talking about these things. So it's like once yeah. I hit kind of that wall, the thought stops there until I either read it again or talk to one of my friends who's read it and has picks up on one little thing I didn't. And then that starts another couple of months of thinking about it. But, um, but so, and that's actually another thing is that a lot of the time barriers to entry are simply 
who you talk to about the, about the piece of story. Um, there's a there's actually certain things. Uh, there are a lot of video games these days that they do um, uh, augmented reality games, which are games that take place outside of the actual games. So you might have a video game on your PlayStation or your Xbox or your PC or whatever, but the developer made a whole separate augmented reality game on the internet where people sit there and start churning through to find, to solve puzzles and um, to, to solve puzzles that give an extra bit of story to the world and reveal things about the story in the actual game you're playing. And I am just not interested in doing that. But I'm aware that it's there, and it's just I've chosen not to get into it. And that, to me, it's like a sort of barrier to entry to getting into those games at the deepest level. Because if those things were in the game, I probably would end up dropping in. But if they were... But because they're outside the game, and I, it's like, you know what, I kind of draw the line at that point. Um, and that's a whole different thing. Uh, there was for years ago, I think it was maybe Halo 3, that there was this thing that people can look up called I Love Bees, and it was like Bungie had gotten its fans kicked up into a frenzy playing this augmented reality game that nobody really knew was even related to Halo 3 for a while, and they picked up lots of details that I still don't know about the game. Um, And there's lots of really interesting things that uh, Valve, the company who makes uh, the Half-Life games and Portal... They do stuff like that like crazy. They will actually drop random clues in a random title update when you're not expecting a title update of a game that will allude to an upcoming release in one of their other series and have details about the story there that you could, or at least that allude to details that you could sort of figure out. And it's crazy the depths that these online communities go into when they're trying to solve these puzzles. And they definitely know those things a lot more than I ever will. And it's not that I'm not interested. It's more of a, I don't got time for that <laughs> um, kind of a thing. And I'm just not constantly tuned in. So I find out about those after they're already started. And I'm not part of those communities. So. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing in a lot of these. Like, it's, it's the... Com- I, being part of the community almost adds a deeper level of enjoyment on a, on a lot of. Uh, I I think we what show were we talking about? Oh, Lost. Yes, you were you were talking about where it was almost the week to week community that made the show as worthwhile as it was. But that that's right. a slightly slightly different topic. <laughs> right, it, it is. It is. Um, I, and, and there's much 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 lower level since you talked about TV. Sometimes a barrier to entry is just how much of a media. There is for something. So, like, if there like are... Like Star Trek. Yeah, like Star Trek. If Star Trek were two seasons long, I would have finished it ages ago. But because there's a lot more than that, I have not finished two seasons. It's it's kind of intimidating. Um, the same thing is true of various, you know, TV shows, or as you mentioned, what made you think that... Um, was it Elantris was the book that you recommended because it was just one? Yeah. yeah. And and that's a lot of the time I will find myself, I'll recommend easily a comic book series that's only 12 issues because it's like, hey, it's just 12 issues. It's like reading a book, you know, just jump in, enjoy it. It's not an ongoing thing. It's not a thing that was 70 issues, you know, and, and when something is not intimidating in that way, people can just drop in. Um, and that's nice. Um, so what's also interesting with uh, TV 
is there's been a shift recently, right? With the with the invention of you know things like Netflix and catching up online, um, TV used to be extremely accessible and episodic. Um, right. You know, any episode of Quantum Leap could be your first episode. Well, almost any. Um, there there are like two and three parters, you know, and <laughs> uh, because the the opening intro explains what you need to know, and that's all you need to know, and it's a one off adventure. Uh, Stargate SG One was uh, that way too, as was um, for the most part uh, most Star Trek series. Uh, they're they're pretty episodic, you know. There is this vague overarching thing that's going to make the episode probably mean a little bit more if you've seen them all. But if you haven't, and that's the only episode of Stargate SG One you've ever seen, you're you're probably going to be fine. And my impression uh, whereas, is that Classic Who, a Classic Doctor Who, was the same way. Where not necessarily per episode, but per storyline. And each storyline was three or four episodes. So if you got right. in on one of those, you know, you'd be you'd be fine, and you could just continue on. Whereas now you really need to start at the beginning of a season, or better yet, the beginning of a Doctor. And right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, you're right. I think part of it is also that you make. Uh, part of it's a business thing more and more people want to make more engaging stories and they also find that money wise it works to have a more engaged audience and you can get a more engaged audience by having this more engaging continuing storyline and so there's all kinds of things going on there for how the stories have been changing but it, that is definitely something that i have observed as well where we're become we're getting much more uh serial serialized and less episodic Right, which is for me something. It's sad because I I miss episodic television. I I think I, I think there are almost two different uh, mediums or genres within TV. There's episodic and there's overarching. You know, and it used to be back in the day if you wanted your overarching, you know, completely serialized TV, you watch something like Babylon Five. And if I want my episodic TV, I'm I'm gonna watch my you know do- my not Doctor Who, uh, Stargate SG One. Um, now I've been forced into almost all serialized. And what I find happens with me is if I get behind, which often happens, I just stop watching. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I, I stopped watching once upon a time around Christmas, not because I hated and deplored the show, which apparently is the case for a lot of people, but just because I missed like three weeks in a row because it came on Sunday nights and I had other things I was doing. And suddenly I was three weeks behind and I was like, I don't have three hours to devote to this show. Uh, And it just kept getting worse because I hadn't watched it. And uh, so finally it came to a point where I just deleted every episode of Once Upon a Time on my DVR and was like, I just don't care anymore. That's actually exactly a little bit earlier than you did, but that's the same thing that got me to stop watching Once Upon a Time. I was enjoying it despite issues that other people were having. I watched the entire first season. I was part of the way into the second season and then just didn't get to watch a few episodes and got to the point where those episodes weren't on Hulu anymore. I was like, well, I guess that's that and just kind of pushed it out of my mind. So, um, and, and that's always about, because I was enjoying the show. Um, and I don't really watch that many shows as they're running anymore. And, uh, and for me to drop one just because, Hey, like I couldn't get to it at the time and it's basically impossible to get back into it. Um, right. As opposed to, uh, you know, I keep going back to Stargate SG one because it is my favorite television show ever. (laughs) Um, when I watch Stargate SG one, this is going to make you very sad michael just just be prepared okay. you know, maybe cover your ears uh i watched it completely out of order um 
which I know you are like morally opposed to. Yeah, I basically uh, am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing was, when I started start watching Stargate, uh, Stargate had been Stargate SG One had been a Showtime show, I believe. So it was, you know, not a standard channel my family had. So you so would have it when it, it comes on. Well, so then uh, Sci-Fi, after the sixth season, Sci-Fi picked it up. So the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth season all aired on Sci-Fi Channel. Um, And Stargate, but the rights to Stargate, you're right, like from Showtime, years later, uh, Fox would show the episode. Fox? I I think it's Fox. Um, So Fox was like four years behind Showtime. Um, and Stargate SG-1, I mean, Sci-Fi Channel only had the rights to show seasons one through five. And, of course, seven through whatever they made, but not season six. So for a long time, I had never seen season six. Uh, but, like, Stargate would come on every day at six o'clock. And I used to have this rule in high school that if my homework wasn't done by Stargate time, I wasn't doing it. Um, which actually served me really well. I mean, I got all A's and did really well. Uh, <laughs> every day at six o'clock... I would watch Stargate SG-1 on TV trying to catch up. But, of course, uh, you know, I didn't watch it on the weekends when they did show some episodes. And, you know, some days I didn't watch them. So it was completely out of order. I never saw the sixth season until, like, years later. Um, And I still vastly enjoyed that show. (laughs) It's my favorite television show of all time. I mean... Uh, To go less nerdy, um, (laughs) things like Boy Meets World and Friends... You know, those are shows where if they were serialized, (laughs) there's no way I would love them as much as I do now because I would have not been interested in all. And instead, I own all of Boy Meets World on DVD and 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 I've seen every single episode of Friends. But like that would not have happened if it wasn't a show that I could just sit down whenever somebody else was watching it. Um, Right. I mean, I'm pretty, I don't even like Friends, and I'm pretty sure I've seen every episode of Friends five times. Uh, every time an episode comes on TV, I'm like, I've seen this episode multiple times. Uh, and it's, it's exactly because of that. Because it's so episodic, anytime it's on TV, you can watch it. It's totally Whereas not intimidating it, at all. Like, you'll pick up the little cues of, oh, who is this person with right now? Okay, that's interesting. And who's fighting with who and whatnot. But it's pretty self-contained, each episode, and they do a really good job of that. Right. Whereas most modern television, when I see it on, I, you know, if they're like showing old episodes of a show, mm-hmm. um, I just, if it's a show I don't watch, I can't tune in, you know, like I can't just tune in in the middle of, uh, you know, once upon a time that would make no sense. You know, you'd be completely lost. Right. And I, I think there's a place in television for both types of show, and it makes me sad that it, there are almost no episodic shows left outside of a few sitcoms. Yeah, I, I think uh, I can agree. I'm also sad on that. Um, I, I think there are, there probably have been many done, uh, just like business case studies on why that is. But uh, it's an interesting sort of, Thing, I, would, I think yeah. it's probably a pendulum. It'll eventually, because right now we can be serialized. That's that's the big thing, right? Like because you can catch up online because so many people watch TV on Netflix. Um, well, do you think that's ever going to change at this point? I mean, the inter- I don't, no, no, no. I, I, I don't think, think that. I don't think those things are going to change. But oh, I think oh, oh, that, I see. like 
the epic long fantasy series that's 14 books long versus the one-off fantasy series or uh you know you're saying because we newly can do it that it's a big deal that everybody's taking advantage of it okay right Whereas I think eventually we will have more episodic shows. I, I don't think episodic shows will ever be the what we all do forever thing again. Um, but I think, you know, episodic shows are like the early, you know, first eight Dresden file books. Those are pretty episodic, you yeah, know, they are. like they're. There's a slowly arching story that, you know, you could get more out of the books if you've been reading it from the beginning. But frankly, if Summer Night is the first Dresden file you pick up, you're not going to be that confused. And they do enough of telling you the stuff that you already know that if you went through them rapid fire like I did, you're like, okay, I don't need to hear this again. But then when you realize that the books don't come out, you know, day after day, they're like, okay, it's good to have these refreshers for those people. And if somebody just drops in. They work out just fine. Right. And and I think those are fantastic books. And to a certain extent, I enjoy the episodicness of it. Right now in the series, it's getting a little more serialized just because of... Uh, How big the, the events have to be. Right. Right. The story is becoming more epic. But one of the things I enjoyed about the early Dresden Files was just that like, I read this and it was enjoyable. And I like these characters. So I want to continue reading. But it's a new adventure. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I'm part of that. People just want to make large epic stories. And if you want to have huge impacting stories in your thing, it, it's, it, it doesn't really make sense that the world isn't going, is going to essentially reset after an episode where, um, but p- if people are willing to do lighter episodes where not everything is world changing or, you know, universe shattering, then they can do the episodic thing. And people just have to want to make those smaller stories again, which right. are, there's plenty of really, really useful small stories to be told. Um, right. So, I mean, I really, I think that because we, you and I had discussed that we want to, we wanted to talk about how different mediums can do certain things, but then genres, but we already talked about how it is, can be genre specific as well with high fantasy. And that, that's really true of science fiction as well. I mean, you know, if someone has read science fiction and hasn't gotten into cyberpunk, which is, uh, (laughs) you know, or which is a kind of science fiction, there are books that you can read that kind of introduce you to the topic. And then there are books that will completely lose you if you're not already familiar with the concept of cyberpunk. Um, right. And that's it, true, true all over the place with genres. And it, it really works exactly the same way that we've discussed with the, with the mediums themselves. There can be language that's used that you don't really understand or language that's used that really don't mean anything in any other stories, but because you're used to the convention of, words being made up that you start dissecting the word and being like, well, okay, what's the Latin root of this? This must pertain to something, something like this, or because you're familiar enough with the, with the genre that you can be like, okay, well, if he used this word, he must be talking about a matter, a matter compiler of some kind, whatever they call it in this universe. Like, you know, there are little things like that, where when you're familiar with a genre, words that seem to be random words to other people will all of a sudden just jump out to you and you'll plug them into place with what they must be um, in this one. Uh, and that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true across genres and across mediums. It's words are used that right. way, visual or scene cues. Um, and in movies, it's kind hey, it's of the It's like same. if you're... You- I was just going to say, a specific example I can think of of that is, uh, let's say I'm reading a science fiction story and it says something like, uh, 
And Michael called his friend on the Ansible and had a whole conversation with him. Uh, you know, to the, to the new reader, that, that would mean, you know, an Ansible is something like a phone. Right. Okay. That, I mean, that, that, there's enough context clues for that. But for someone like me or you, we're like, oh, so they have faster than light communication. Right, exactly. Because Ansible is one of those use that, words that's been used enough in different science fiction books that it's, it's not a story-specific thing anymore. It's a which, science fiction word. Which means, which means in, in, just in that sentence, if that was the first sentence in the entire book, other people would be like, okay, so he called a friend. And for us, we'd be like, oh, so he's calling someone who's on a different world somewhere. Right. Like, right. Because why would he use the Ansible if he was a local friend? Like, clearly he is having, for some reason, a conversation with someone who is a really, really long distance away. Why is that? And we're already prepping questions in our minds for what for what's coming. And that's right. just and we've, we've already built the world a step, the universe a step more than the. But it's still accessible. Right. But we've, we've already gone a further step than the accessible reader would have. Right. Exactly. That, yeah. Um, uh, similar things. We didn't touch upon movies at all, but this is done in much yes, the same way. Yes, which I have way. something I want to say about movies too. So you okay, go well, on why don't you I'll go have... ahead and jump in? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Oblivion. Um, okay, um, as an example, spoiler free uh, or because so far we've kept spoilers pretty much out of everything. We we can go spoiler free. Okay, uh, let's go spoiler I, free. I, I can I can tell this antidote without a spoiler. All right, let's um, do it. So, Oblivion is a movie that uh, I, f- I feel like it. I greatly enjoyed it. Michael, you enjoyed it? Yes, I did enjoy it. Okay. Uh, but I was watching this movie, and I, like Michael, science fiction is, like, my first genre. You know, I've been reading science fiction since the third grade. Uh, you know, I read Asimov in the sixth grade. <laughs> uh, you know, it's something I am intimately familiar with uh so in the first 15 minutes of the movie i knew the entire plot except for one small thing uh i was like okay i know exactly what this movie is about and for me that doesn't make the movie any less enjoyable right uh i I still enjoyed it um but the friend i was with i felt like every 20 minutes we were in that movie she'd lean over and be like what so blah 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 and i'm like yes Obviously, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, except I, I didn't say it that way. Uh, or she'd ask a question, and one time I just remember answering it in the theater. We're sitting there, and she was like, "So I'm going to make up a spoiler. This is not a real spoiler. So they're dogs, you know?" And I'm like, "Of course they're dogs. Like, what? <laughs> why? Why did we've been watching this movie for 45 minutes? How did you not know they're dogs? You know?" <laughs> and uh, so it's just funny. That movie is completely accessible, you know, um, right. and I still enjoyed it. But there are a lot of things like that, especially in movies, um, where I feel like, especially being a reader in the genre, almost gives you a leg up. But once again, I, I think Michael and I have both said this before. Uh, predictability is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. And um, I think that's what and it doesn't make me enjoy it less. I came out of that movie I, thinking, I was like, wow, that was didn't surprise me in any way, but I really liked it. Like, and, and, and I don't know why I even used the word, but there, but like, and I really liked it. I mean, it it was, yeah, I I knew what was going to happen every step of the way. And, but it was in the presentation, the way it was done was just really fun. Plus M83 did a song for it and I love M83. So, um, (laughs) Uh, I, I liked it despite Tom Cruise too, which is saying <laughs> And we, we discussed the fact that I have a crush on how Tom Cruise runs. So I know. Yeah. 
I don't really yeah, care about like, him a- otherwise, but I really, <laughs> I love the way that guy runs. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh, but uh, other things about movies too is just um, if you took somebody from the forties to watch a modern movie, even movies in genres that existed at the time, they would be so jarred by the way certain things are dropped, like just certain certain pieces right. of information are dropped here and there, and it's just a whole different. There are so many cues that we take from the way music is used in movies um, to tell you that certain things are going to happen or not going to happen um, to the ways that you might get a glimpse, the way that we use flashbacks in movies all the time now, um, you know, or the kind of the, the haze around someone's memory. If you showed a lot of movies now, you know, people are trying to unlock, unlock memory. They're, they're, they're dreaming about things that happened before. And, and we use common visual language for that kind of thing. We might make it a little bit hazy around the edges or desaturate the color. And modern audiences who are familiar with watching movies, you see it and you're like, oh, this is a dream or a flashback of some kind. And people who watched it before or people from, you know, decades and decades ago, they'd be like, why does this look so weird? You know, um, and there's just little things like that that we use all the time and people for people who only watch movies and don't read books, comics, or play video games, that's another, that's just an example of the kind of thing that you take for granted that you don't realize is just all over the place in the stories that you read or the stories that you experience and the, and the movies that you watch. Like there are things like that everywhere. So yes, I I agree. I think movies are one people, people don't think about how accessible or not accessible they are. Um, kind of like books in that aspect because it's so it's so everywhere in our culture i mean everyone watches movies uh not necessarily in the theater but everyone watches movies but there are movies that are definitely less accessible uh i think primer which we've talked about it before yes. is a perfect example of it you know the first time i watched that movie for the first 20 minutes i was like i don't even like i've been told this movie involves time travel like wh- what yeah. <laughs> like 20 minutes in nothing time travel related has happened <laughs> you know, like, and, and I don't understand. There's a voiceover, but I'm not really sure who that belongs to. And, uh, you know, like, uh, so that that's funny because that, that is a less accessible movie. And then, uh, the of course, the interesting thing about movies is because they are so accessible and everyone is familiar with the tropes and cliches of accessibility, uh, the tropes and cliches of the movie, um, the, the movie makers can play on that and expect everyone in the audience to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they're like, oh, everyone in this audience has seen horror movies. So then you come out with something like Ghostbusters, right? And you're like, this is a horror comedy, <laughs> which was like the first t- kind of thing like that ever. And it's you actually, know? it's really and funny every- that you went that route because I was going to suggest Cabin in the Woods as something oh, that... Oh, yes. <laughs> um as another That's a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that movie too and I don't do horror movies often at all. I know the tropes. I've seen enough horror movies to know that I just don't like ho- watching horror movies and I can follow them, but I ruin them for other people because the only way for me to avoid having nightmares in the future is to ruin the movies for everybody else by talking about what's going to happen next. Um Right. Which kind of kills Whereas the movie watching experience. Woods, that's completely okay, though. Like yes. you know what's going to happen next, and, and that's, that's what that's it's playing what on. they're playing on. 
Yeah, and it's the, that's the the hard thing I have explaining Cabin in the Woods to people is that it is a horror movie. And it is hilarious. <laughs> well, so I tell people, and this is how I tell people who are hesitant to watch horror movies, is like, look, I don't do horror movies. I only bought this movie because it was Joss Whedon, and I was intent to not have just one thing that he made not in my collection. So I bought it, and I sat down, and I watched it. And the entire time, I'm squirming in my seat. But all these things, like... By the end, I had the point where I could just immediately have played it and watched it again. Like, it was not... Not like other horror movies, which I wouldn't want to rewatch. <laughs> this it, it it does things in a way where, yes, it will make you squirm and be uncomfortable if you don't do horror movies, and you will be expecting certain things to happen. But don't worry. <laughs> um, right, and and that's see that's why I have a problem getting people to watch Cabin in the Woods though because I am a horror movie watcher and people know that they don't so trust they don't you. believe me. Right. <laughs> so I'll be like, no, they're like. Mandy, I don't like horror movies. I'm like, I know, I know, but you've got to watch this one. <laughs> and, and that's funny. the wise. It's people hilarious. are people like when I'm like, look, you don't understand. Like, I watched this movie and had nightmares for the next week. I watched this other movie and had nightmares for the next week. I can't watch horror movies. You'll be fine. Like, you know. And they're like, okay, all right, I'll I'll think about it. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I've had a couple of people watch it after I said that, and they're like, oh, you were right. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And, you know, the funny thing about Cabin in the Woods, particularly with the topic of, you know, turning tropes and stuff, is that honestly, I haven't seen very many of the kinds of movies that it's making fun of. You know, like the the 1970s stereotypical teenage slasher movie. But they I mean, become I, part I, of our culture's language, right? right. They're, they're such a part of our cultural language. That's what, yes, that I know what to expect. I know this is true, even though I'm not familiar with those movies. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you don't have to be that familiar with the horror genre to watch that movie and be like, this is so true, so funny, and scary. <laughs> it's, you, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods... You need to go fix that right now. Yeah, well, That's- if you care at all about interesting <laughs> stories that are different from what, yeah. If you're not a person who likes thinking about stories and stuff, you sh- probably should watch it anyways, but it's not like a must-watch. But if you're a person who just likes seeing interesting things because of the, because of the fact that they're, they do something a little bit weird, that's a movie to go watch. I mean, uh, but it's still enjoyable, even yeah. from a zeroth order aspect. And... Chris Hemsworth is in it. I'm just saying. <laughs> so on that note, I think we should begin wrapping up. So Mandy, do you have any any recommendations for people on things with very low barriers to entry in their particular genre and or mediums? So things that would be really easy for people to get into, even if they generally don't do whatever other thing Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to go with the Scott Pilgrim suggestion if you want to get into comics um, just as a way to learn how to read comics uh, because, uh, you know, it's it's very straightforward, especially if you've seen the movie, you're kind of familiar with the characters, though though it is different plot wise. Um, And it's not overwhelming uh, and it's enjoyable. you know, and if you and if you're looking to get into Marvel, I, I always recommend the Young Avengers. Uh, <laughs> um, Any video games that, that, that you feel like that you've actually played that 
you feel like would go ahead. I mean, if not, that's fine. Okay, so uh, the only video game I have successfully beat by myself, Kingdom Hearts uh, the, 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 the days, Three, I don't know. Three, 358 six, over two. 358 over two days. I played it on easy. I beat it. Uh, I got really frustrated on the um, Neverland levels. Almost stopped playing. Almost had to get my little sister to beat it for me there. Because those add an extra uh, dimension to what you're doing. They add uh, up and yes. down. In you're addition. flying. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that dragon is hard to beat. Now that said, uh, so, so that's, there is a barrier to entry in that. It probably will make no sense unless you've played other Kingdom Hearts games. Or watched other Kingdom Hearts games. Yes, which I had watched Kingdom Hearts 1 at that point. Um, I also really enjoyed playing second player of uh, the Xbox Lord of the Rings games that came out um, when we were in high school with way the movies. Uh, yeah, so way back. Um, but I was second player. Um, so there was no... I, I think that's the best thing you can do if you're trying to get into video games is play second player with someone who has some modicum of patience. Um, so they can let you try, but then they can save you, um, so that you don't get too impatient with the game. Uh, like you're not literally stuck on this level forever. And the great thing about the Lord of the Rings games is that second player or two player, it's the same game. Um, and it's an interesting story. Whereas I feel feel like so many two player games these days, uh, are not as good as single player games. So yeah, find good two player games. Um, any book recommendations for people new to, to yes. genres, whether they're kids if you or are, If you are new to science fiction, whether you are a kid or an adult, if you are thinking to yourself, I would kind of like to read science fiction, I'm not familiar with the language or the expectations or the tropes, you should read Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. Um, because the tropes in there are... Um, Mystery tropes, and due to movies, most of us are familiar with those tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on the same vein of thought, if you would like to get into fantasy, I really think uh, Stormfront by Jim Butcher, which is the first Dresden File book, is a great one because it's the exact same scenario. You're in a fantasy world, but you are essentially – it's a hard-boiled detective novel. Um, so it, it eases you in to the, the craziness of the magic through this – pretty you know almost at points stereotypical in how it's presented not in how it's resolved but how it's presented mystery situation um so i i think those are both great entry points um if you really wanted to get into epic fantasy uh first ask yourself did you like harry potter because if the answer is no i'm not sure you're gonna enjoy epic fantasy not that harry potter is epic fantasy and if you want to try but, fantasy uh, and haven't read harry potter uh you should do so though i do know a lot of adult readers who tried harry potter as adults who found the first two books uh not appealing just just because uh of that they are you know they're childish books and those books uh, are written in a very almost Rodal way. So if you if you like, you know, James and Giant Peach, <laughs> and still do, you would like the first two Harry Potter books. Uh, but they they do change with the third one. Um, let's see other fan fantasy is so. I, 
fantasy is hard for me because I went straight from Harry Potter to the Wheel of Time. <laughs> so uh, do not read Lord of the Rings as your gateway fantasy. Don't no. do it. Uh, I do not recommend that. Um, I, I, in fact, I would say don't read Lord of the Rings unless you really, really, really know you want to read Lord of the Rings. I I would concur with that statement. Though The Hobbit, uh, you can and should read. Yes. Um, there is a – I actually have – if you really want to get into epic fantasy, there is a post on my blog um, that is a where to start epic fantasy post. Uh, and it asks a couple questions and based on your answers leads you to different books. So I'm going to recommend that. Uh, maybe I can get Michael to post it in the show notes. Um, I can do that. So if you really want to get into epic fantasy, that that's the look at that post. And if you have questions, you can always ask me. What about you, Michael? What are you going to recommend to people as gateway drugs? So not, let's see. So for video games, there's one that I have recommended to you, Mandy, um, to the moon. It's a windows PC game that I, I like gameplay wise. There's very, very little to get in the way of things. Now I've been wrong on this before. It's a pretty simple game. I'm sure there are little cues in it that I did not, that I have not picked up on as things that would be, that are learned behavior, but there's not a lot of it, even if there is some there. Um, it's a relatively short game. I think it's uh, took about four or five hours to get through. Um, and the story is great. The music's great. Um, you have to be one of those people who, if you're not familiar with the games, you need to be okay with looking at something from kind of a top down. It, it almost looks like it could have been done on the Super Nintendo. Um, which might not mean anything to you if you're not familiar with video games, but um, it's kind of a 2D art style. Um, it's pretty good. I, and I really do highly recommend it. Like, I was definitely in tears at uh, during it, and just because it's a solid piece of storytelling. Um, other than that, I don't really have a lot in the way of... Because more and more I've become more sensitive to games with uh with major barriers to entry um there are some some games of course that aren't story based that are like you know just getting you used to moving a stick i mean playing the mario kart games or a 2d mario side scroller gives you just getting good at those will kind of get you used to being able to to, to make your way through a video game in general and then you might be able to translate those skills to something else um there is a game on the PlayStation 3 called Heavy Rain that is 100% about storytelling, and a lot of people actually criticized it for not being a, a so-called real game because it's more of a an interactive movie than anything. Um, and that is definitely something I can I can recommend to people um, if you and you can turn down the difficulty to an easier level, but the gameplay is all sort of you react to something really quickly and whether you fail or not, your story keeps going and, and it, and it unrolls and it unravels in different ways. So everybody's story ends up a, a bit differently. Um, uh, that is something that I, I can recommend to people who want to see what kinds of stories you can do in a video game without having to have so-called traditional game abilities. Um, in terms of comics, I've had a really hard time picking up, thinking about things on, uh, on comics, 
I kind of want to say Hawkeye, but I'm not sure that that is actually a good recommendation for a beginner to comics. Um, I am going to go with no. I think it's a good recommendation to someone who's familiar with comics, but it wants a end to Marvel. Or doesn't care about Marvel as a whole and just wants a good standalone. Um, right. Because you don't really need to know Marvel to know it. Um, I have been thinking about this for a while, and uh, um, I guess Atomic Robo could be pretty good to get into. I don't know if you've started that, Mandy, since you picked up an issue, right? I, I picked up the first uh, set, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. I think that might be something, if you are a tiny bit of a science nerd and want to start reading a bit of comics, um, Atomic Robo is, at the comic book level storytelling, it's all surface level. The secondary level is just like the science jokes that it has. Um, and the science history jokes that it has. And I think it's pretty accessible. Again, I don't know how well I can trust my uh, ability to assess that. Um, other than that, I have a really hard time coming up with easily accessible ones because I read things that are all over the place. Um, we three. Uh, and it's it's the word we with a three immediately afterwards, no space, like W-E number three. Um that is, I have heard many people refer to it as the make your girlfriend read this comic for people who, guys who are into comics and their girlfriends aren't. Um, that, I think, it doesn't have much in the way of dialogue. And in fact, my brain is stretching. I'm pretty sure it does have some. I think I can think of some in it. But it's got very little in the way of speech bubbles to get in the way of, of things. So it, it's a good comic for learning panel order. Uh, and which is probably the most important thing you can learn right um at the same time though it's it's dark and it will it will uh do things to your heart if you are sensitive to animals um uh i think that's about it that i've got for things that like jump out at me for what is really really what's easy to get into um, other than that, I mean, I would have all kinds of recommendations once somebody feels like they can, they're beginning to get the hang of comic book order and how to read panels, I could recommend in particular areas based on what kind of stories you're interested in. But uh, that's about it in terms... Well, okay, a last one would be Adventures of Superman, um, which I've re- mentioned before. It's a weekly... It's a weekly Superman comic... Um, and they're one-off stories, so there's no there's no continuity to keep track of, and a lot of them are really simplistic. Almost, they feel like they could have been written in the 40s or 50s, kind of uh, simple stories, and so they are pretty easy to to get into. Um, but I think that's it. I think I'm kind of tapped out on comics that I feel like I can easily recommend to people who don't read comics, um, just in terms of not getting thrown off by the the format itself. Um, then other than that, I mean, I feel like you've covered, uh, covered things for science fiction. If somebody isn't really familiar with science fiction, I would say Ender's Game is a great book to start with. Um, yes, which Mandy would agree on. I, um, <laughs> it is my favorite book of all time, but, I'm but just, even then I'm it's a great kidding. early, like it, it's made for younger audiences and it's just a great way to pop, to kind of drop into the genre and see if the stories that genre can tell are the kinds of stories you might be interested in, in the future. Um, 
beyond that, I think I think that's about all I have to recommend, which I feel bad because I have so much media that I've consumed, but it's really hard to come up with recommendations I'm confident enough in without knowing the particular person. Like a lot of the time, my recommendations, I will kind of I'll lock into the person that I know and then start recommending things based on their preferences because I know that the story itself might be of a story. The story itself might be compelling enough for them to kind of struggle through their battle with the, with the medium in order to start acclimating. Um, but without having individual person's preferences, those are all things I can recommend as things that are pretty easy to get into. Um, so with that, I think we shall call this an episode. Woo. All right. So, uh, until next week, everyone, uh, hopefully next week until our next episode, uh, just follow, uh, go to the website at triviallycrucial.com. Follow us on Twitter at trivcrucial or follow Mandy on Twitter at brown underscore A-J-A-H or me at Alhim. That's A-U-H-I-M. Um, have a great week.